1: R.P.N. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.
2: This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. All new starships in a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Show for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit
0: EagleMoss.com
2: slash Discovery Starships.
0: Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode Two Hundred Ninety Four Necessary Evil.
1: It was the kind of show that talked about Star Trek a lot poured over ideas and ideals and ways that made some happy and others sick. It said "Its name was Mission
2: Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast.
1: But I wasn't so sure.
2: No, it, it is Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray.
1: He said his name was Ken Ray, which would seem to make me John Champion. Or would it?
2: This week... Necessary evil, the one where Odo learns to journal. No, oh, and Quark nearly gets killed, and we learn a lot about the past shared between the Major and the Constable. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... Oh, but
1: first. A word from Eagle Moss, the official Star Trek Discovery starships collection ken you and i might have talked about these in the past a bit just as a refresher a reminder these are the models that are officially authorized by cbs studios they're made from quality weighty materials like uh, you get your die cast metal and abs materials and they are so accurate because they're based on the cg models actually used in production of the latest star trek series that would be disco discovery to some disco to you and me and the quality on these things It's just fantastic. It really can't be overstated how good a quality these models are. Of course, I'm referring to the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection.
2: Now, we have said for a long time, as long as we've been talking about um, the Discovery Starships, or or really any of the Starships from Eagle Moss, that they are made um, under the care of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. You and I got to spend some time with Ben recently.
1: Yeah. A- a- expert is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. When we first heard that
2: he's a Star Trek expert, uh, you know, I thought, eh, yeah, that in 50 cents, right? How do you become a Star <laughs> Trek expert? It seemed like it might be marketing speak. Uh, having now hung out with him a little bit. Um, yeah. Expert is definitely an understatement. What's really what's really great, too, is, I mean, just um, yeah, the love he brings to the project as well. It's not just about, okay, well, we can sell 100 of these, so let's make 100 of these. I mean, he's making stuff that he wants to, I mean, it seems like he's making stuff that he wants to hold, that he wants to see. And so you're not going to get, well, it's not going to be substandard. Uh, These big ships, by the way, the USS Shenzhou NCC 1227, nearly eight inches front to back, uh, comes on that great display base that we love so much, and it comes with a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology on board. As we said, this first ship in the collection, NCC-1227, the USS Shenzhou, is available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping. And you get that at EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships.
1: Now, I'm going to blow your mind here for a second, Ken, because, well, we know that additional models will come, like the Discovery, that would be NCC 1031, the Corella, that would be NCC 1255, the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey. They all ship monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price with free shipping. Yeah, we we know all that part. What you might not know is that the fifth ship in the line is Europa. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, because it hasn't even been released. East yet, but debuting at New York Comic Con, the Vulcan Cruiser, the Soulcar class that uh, that ferried Sarek to what should have been a momentous meeting. That is the sixth in the line. That's what's coming up next. I bet you didn't even know that. You wouldn't know that until I told you right here. That is an exclusive little bit of info. So subscribers will get all of those. They will also be entitled to free gifts worth over a hundred bucks. And you may cancel your subscription at any time. So, for the full details, you can find those at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships.
2: Now, if you'd rather pick and choose your ships individually, you can do that. You do that at shop.eaglemoss.com or your local comic book shop for the regular price of $54.95. But again, to subscribe, to be eligible for all those free gifts, uh, to just keep the ships flying in eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships and a huge thanks to EagleMoss for sponsoring this week's show john does have trivia coming up in just a moment but first i'm gonna let you know how to get in touch with us mission log pod is the address to find us on facebook skype and twitter if you'd like to leave us a voicemail we would love to hear your voice 323 522 5641 is the phone number to call. 323 522 5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discovered Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, the moment for which people who like trivia have been waiting, it's time for John Champion's trivia.
1: All right, Ken. Well, today's episode, Necessary Evil, was written by Peter Allen Fields. And, well, this only makes sense to me. Peter, as we have mentioned, is a longtime TV writer, and he is steeped in a number of genres. He did spy shows, he did sci-fi, and you may be interested to learn, not surprisingly at all, that he did uncredited script polishing on a lot of Columbo. Oh, really? So, yes, <laughs> because there <laughs> so, is a
2: shot from Columbo in this episode.
1: Well, exactly. One more thing. Yeah, It's not just something that Steve Jobs said at product launches. No, it's sort of a catchphrase from the show Columbo starring Peter Falk. Uh, if you didn't catch that show the first time around, if you're a little too young, uh, just search for Columbo. <laughs> search for Peter Falk on YouTube. One more thing. It happened all the time. And this episode was directed by James Conway. Now, uh, not a frequent Star Trek uh, director, uh, but he did get his start with TNG. He was a fan of the original series. And uh, for TNG, he directed Justice. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I I need a director who's done gritty character drama, not just people on a jogging planet. Well... You'll be glad to know that he also directed Frame of Mind. You remember that one where uh, Riker thinks that he's losing his mind. He's trapped in a play, but he's really in the, uh, the mental asylum. So that, that would be one tie to it. And his first and, and so far only other DS9 episode, uh, in our series of rewatches here would be Duet. So another gritty character drama there led very well into Necessary Evil, and he's got five more DS9 episodes to go than four with Voyager and four with Enterprise. Hey, there is a major, major deleted scene for this episode. Uh, In fact, it is the one deleted scene that Michael Piller regretted that didn't make it. He said, of all the deleted scenes that should have been left in a show, this one really should have been left in the show. In it, we would have learned... That Palra was having an affair with Goldacott, and he thought it was a great moment. It really added depth to everything that was going on. It also helped to reinforce why Goldacott wanted some level of separation from the investigation. Hey, uh, uh, Cesaro, our, our friend who we just see in a photo on screen very briefly. Well, that's Dan Curry. And we've talked about Dan before, uh, but this is one of his only, I think, the only on-screen appearance for him. He, of course, was a, uh, a frequent behind-the-scenes uh, a collaborator and contributor, everything from visual effects to uh, design work. So that is Dan Curry on screen. And we have a great reference here to a Cardassian groat. Well, I don't know how much a Cardassian groat is worth, but uh, in the real world, a groat was an English coin that that honestly had a good run of about 300 years from the middle of the 14th century to the middle of the 17th century. It was worth about four pence. You know, probably worth more today, but at the time, about four pence. Now, let's talk about guest stars. Mark Alimo, of course, is back as Gold Ducat. Now, the murderous Bajoran Trasko is played by Robert McKenzie. There's not a whole lot about Robert and his on-screen career after this, He did snag a few other roles in sci-fi shows that fans will recognize, though, like uh, the TV series V, the original one, and Quantum Leap. And uh, then we have Paula, the femme fatale, played by Catherine Moffat. Now, Catherine started her acting career as a teenager, appearing in shows like The Hardy Boys' Nancy Drew Mysteries and James at 16. More and more of the landmark shows of the 70s and 80s show up on her resume. I mean, honestly, you can't have Fantasy Island without the Love Boat. You can't have T.J. Hooker without Chips. Uh, You can't have Knight Rider without the A-Team. Unfortunately, you can't have the Dukes of Hazzard without Enos. There's just so many more. She appeared on them all just so much in her career. Uh, Recurring roles later turn up in shows like the new WKRP in Cincinnati. And uh, as a voice in Iron Man, hey, she's even got features under her belt like the Leslie Nielsen vehicle, Spy Hard.
0: Of all the promenades In all the space stations In all the quadrants of the galaxy They Head to walk into Oto's.
1: Prologue It's a dark night on Bejor, And the rain falls heavily Like every keystroke on Raymond Chandler's Royal typewriter There's a dame named Palra Who looks up to no good And Quark is in the room too So that's a safe bet she needs Quark to retrieve something important from DS9, something that used to be in her late husband's shop, hidden securely behind a wall panel. She can pay him a little in latinum, maybe more in gratitude. He says he'll do it. And when he leaves, a Bajoran man emerges from the shadows. Act 1. On DS9, Odo is adjusting to a new command by Sisko. Start making records about what you do, Okay. So weird that anyone would want records from the only law enforcement, but whatever. Coincidentally, Quark is ready to break the law with the help of his brother, Rom. Rom has quite a knack for breaking into places he shouldn't, like the latinum vault at Quark's bar. And it's handy to have him along now. The pair retrieve a small box that was hidden in a wall panel right where Palra said it would be. Quark's curiosity gets the best of him, though, and he breaks in to see what's inside. A piece of paper. Paper with eight Bajoran names written on it. Seems worthless, but he asks Rom to get an imager so they can keep a copy before resealing the box. When Rom steps away, that shadowy Bajoran man from before emerges yet again and aims a weapon right at Quark. She sent you, Quark says. And the Bajoran man says he's real sorry. Then aims and fires, killing Quark. Act 2. Well, he's not dead yet. He's close, though. Dr. Bashir is trying to put together whatever he can about what happened to Quark to save his life. Odo kicks into investigator mode right away and starts interrogating Rom pretty heavily. Rom isn't exactly forthcoming, though, but he insists he didn't do it, even if he would benefit by inheriting Quark's bar. Sisko plays it a little cooler. Rom's son and Jake are friends. He doesn't want to see a family broken up. Okay, Rom knows a little. He was helping Quark steal something of value which just turned out to be a list. He doesn't know what it was or who it was for, and he didn't see who shot his brother. He just knows they got it from an area that's for storage now. But years ago, under the Cardassians, it was a chemist shop. And that starts a flashback. Odo is on DS9 five years ago, remembering his first meeting with Gul Dukat in that very same location— Odo was just a guy at the time, an oddity as a shapeshifter, and on nobody's side in particular. In the chemist shop on that day, Gull Ducat points out the body of a murdered man, Vatrick, the shop owner. Odo can help him solve the murder, or Gull Ducat can start killing random Bajorans. He'd rather this be handled by someone who already is known among Bajorans to be a stand-up guy and has resolved other disputes. Reluctantly, Odo takes the job and starts by interviewing Vatrick's wife, Palra. She's not exactly losing sleep. She knew that her husband was having an affair. In her estimation, when the affair broke off, the lover killed Vatrick. She doesn't know who the other woman is, but she can point her out to Odo. Somewhere on the station, it's... Kira Nerese? Cut to the present. Major Kira approaches Odo. She secured outgoing ships, but there's no sign of a weapon or who might have wielded it. She's curious, though, wondering if that long-ago hidden list had something to do with Vatric. Act 3. Odo walks Rom through what he saw that night. There is a list. Of names. Anything at all he remembers. Well, something with a C and an S-O at the end, kind of like Chesso. Well, that's something to go on. It doesn't ring a bell with Kira. She also tells Odo that they never really talked about what happened five years ago. Seems like Kira owes something to Odo. She could have been executed, but he reminds her that she was innocent, though she says the Cardassians wouldn't have cared. Five years ago, Odo approaches Kira for the first time. She's suspicious immediately of anyone working for the Cardassians. He asks about her affair with Vatrick, and she says there was no such thing. She only knew him for two weeks before the murder, and they were only friendly because somehow he managed to get Pyrelian ginger tea that no one else seemed to be able to get. Let's ask a different question, though. Why would the Cardassians hire Odo to do their work? Odo says the Bajorans trust him. Kira says it doesn't matter. They still would resolve it. Whatever it is he's in, he'd better be aware that he'll have to choose sides at some point. Present day. Odo visits Palra at her home on Bajor. She says she knows nothing about a list of Bajoran names, and she knows nobody named Chesso. Seems like a dead end, but Odo does ask about one thing. Seems Palra's power had been cut off. Then this morning, she paid up because a sum of money had been transferred from a friend into her account. Odo would like to know who that friend is, but Palra says it's personal, and that friend is married. Act 4. Quark is still alive and still unconscious. Kira has a new lead for Odo, though. Seems like Chesso is probably a guy named Chisaro. Except it'll be difficult to talk to him. You see, he's dead. Turned up that way, drowned in a pond this morning. Odo knows there's a connection, since he just talked to Power and dropped this name. He'll need to dig deeper now. Bank records, communication records, and he'll need the Bajoran authorities to treat Chassara's death as a homicide. And with Quark laying there, and Palra knowing Quark is alive, Odo thinks he's going to need security. Five years ago, Quark meets Odo for the first time. Odo asks about Vatrick and then about Kira. She says she was at Quark's looking for a job when Vatrick was killed, and Quark says sure she was. He even got a little favor out of the deal. Not knowing Kira well enough, that's enough of a tip that Quark is lying. She paid him off for an alibi, a detail Gul overhears, but not the name. Odo isn't willing to hand over a name just yet, though, not until he's absolutely sure. In the present, Odo presents a list to Sisko. It's all the names that presumably were on the missing paper. How? He looked at Paula's records. She hadn't been in touch with any of these people before two days ago. Now, suddenly, there's a lot of chatter and a lot of money being transferred to her. Money these people seemed to hold on to right after the Cardassian occupation. They were cooperating with the Cardassians. Act 5 Five years ago, Odo was interrogating Kira. She's lying about where she was, and he knows it. She says if she tells the truth... He'll have to choose whose side he's on. Kira explains that she's in the Bajoran underground, and she was there to sabotage part of the station's ore processing system. Regardless of what happened to Vatrick, she'll be executed by the Cardassians if they find out. In walks Gul Dukat, and Odo says she didn't do it. She can go. Present day. That sneaky Bajoran enters the infirmary and stabs a security guard, then makes his way over to Quark. He grabs a pillow and starts to suffocate Quark until interrupted by Rom and his persistent screaming. Quark's life is saved, and even unconscious, a smile creeps over his face. So that's one Bajoran in custody, and Odo invites Palra to have a look. She says she doesn't know him, which definitely does not hold up, since Odo has communication and bank records between the two. He'll hold her in custody, too. And they can get to know each other. She still says she didn't kill her husband, and Odo says he knows. So if he knows, who killed Vatrick? Chassara's name came up pretty quickly, as did the names of the other collaborators, and they all pointed to Vatrick. It's information that only the Bajoran Underground would have been sitting on. Palera had no motive, but the Underground did. Kira says she was sent to DS9 to find that list five years ago. Someone else had the job of sabotaging the station. When she was sneaking around the shop, Vatrick walked in on her, and she had no choice. Oda was taken aback. They're friends, so why lie to him? At the time, he was working for the Cardassians, but in the time since? Kira says she wanted, and she tried to tell him a hundred different times, but she couldn't. His opinion of her matters, and she didn't want to lose his friendship. She asked Odo if he will ever
2: be able to trust her again. The end. Wait, she asked him, what did he say? Oh, you'll
1: just have to wait another five and a half seasons, Ken.
2: Was this a cliffhanger? Are you kidding me? Like, you know, next time <laughs> on Deep Space Nine, will you ever be able to trust me again? <laughs>
1: I love that they ended it that way. I, 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 and
2: now the thrilling conclusion to this
1: conversation. Nope, 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 nope. Not going to let you off that easy. I, I love that it just hangs there for a moment. Delightful. <laughs> I, I love that you love that. Yeah. You, you, not so much. <laughs> Whatever.
2: How do you think, seriously, how do you think that conversation ended? Um, I mean, like, okay, because like when we start next week, they're not still going to be standing there. But like, yeah, you know, like, how long does that silence hang before somebody says something else? It
1: it depends. <laughs> it depends how long his last uh, uh, melting occurred uh, uh, before he had to go back in the bucket. She could just stand there and stare him down, and if she holds on for like a good, you know, fifteen hours or so, he's got to go back in the bucket, and she just gets to walk out of the room.
2: Yeah, let let me make it clear. It's a wonderful it's a wonderful scene. It's a wonderful suspenseful thing. It is just one of those things. It's like, how did that end? Mm-hmm. How did that like was it Odo going, Are you gonna stand here all day?
1: <laughs>
2: not not everything has
1: to be handed to us. That's you know, that's uh yeah. I still I still kinda
2: wanna know though. It's like uh uh uh-huh. Gino. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then and then every week after that, uh You Trust Me Now? Uh next <gasps> week, uh you trust me now. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's like like the interrogation technique. I'm just waiting for Odo to go up to everybody. Uh, did you kill that guy? Right. right. Uh, did you kill that guy? <laughs> no. no okay. I love
2: the fact though that he knows. Like I, it was interesting to hear his whole like he he has studied people so he can make himself look like people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you know when when he meets Mrs. Vadrik or Paura... When he meets her uh, he 's like, "Yeah, by the way, you are exhibiting zero signs of anybody who 's sad, and I can see, although apparently he can see on a microscopic level, which again brings up the whole eye question, all does eyes. he have eyes he 's all eyes yep. he 's all tongue he 's all mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. I understand that he has one gigantic sensory organ." Mm-hmm. So he can see like pupil dilation and things like that. He's that good. Uh, Yeah. He's like like a super taster for changelings. Oh, (laughs) he is. is. Although thankfully he doesn't taste. So that's, yeah, that's good. And if if we
1: know anything that that's just an insufferable quality to have. So. Yeah. Be,
2: well, especially on a place like DS9. I was you're kidding. Say. yeah. Ugh, that would just be, that would be absolutely terrible. Ugh. Hey, uh, what was that thing coming off the side of Palra's head? Well, You mean, the?
1: see, she's Bajoran, and they like their jewelry. She is
2: Bajoran. It, yeah, well, no, you see, this goes back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with... um, um uh, Lee uh Nullis? Noel Ennis. Lee Nullis, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Noel Ellis? You, Lee Nullis, it was whatever. was so close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Lee Knowles and I was like, well, that's his earring, obviously, because that's his earring. But first of all, she wears two at least different earrings that we see in this episode. Mm-hmm. Plus, both of them really just about the gaudiest things you've ever seen. <laughs> well as an eight-year-old i remember going jewelry shopping and then later i would see like the stuff i bought my mom when i was like eight or nine I'm mm-hmm. like that's just terrible mm-hmm. and now i think that was just stylish compared to what's coming off the side of her
1: head oh yeah it, it, look it's a lot of earring. they're they're trying to make her stand out uh, or she, yeah <laughs> they succeeded
2: thank goodness odo doesn't have an eye she might have put one out with it
1: <laughs> yeah uh, all right so speaking of odo uh he never kept records
2: before. Yeah, well, he doesn't need to. He's he's got a good memory.
1: <laughs> well, I, but he, so again, like, see, he he's the the law enforcement guy, right? He never kept records, right? Oh, okay. He's got a good
2: memory. Did and if you don't believe that he has a good memory, just ask him, and he'll tell you he's got a great memory.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, he does say that. He does say that. <laughs> Yeah.
2: And that's that's apparently all you need. Actually I do like the fact that he explained why I, I kinda liked it. I, I get the sense mm-hmm. that you don't really like the fact that they did the whole like well, I guess I gotta do this now. But I love the fact that I, I thought his uh, it made me laugh. His opening thing about so I gotta keep a log and I don't want to keep a log and I think it's completely stupid that I have to keep a log, but Cisco's making me keep a log, so uh let me just go ahead and start my log here and I will tell you everything's fine. <laughs> I mean,
1: look, for for the film noir style, I'm glad that he has his VO throughout the episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He just came off of years of working for the Cardassians. And if we learned anything about Cardassians is that they keep records about everything, even terrible things. They keep records about all of it,
2: I've never understood that. First of all, but second, did we not establish Odo has a good memory?
1: Because <laughs> he told you, I know he told you that he has a good he memory. Said,
2: yeah, he, he said he's got a good memory, and that's you know that's good enough for uh, well, it's good enough for the Cardassians. I gotta figure actually if Gul Dukat is gonna send Odo out to do his dirty work, and you can argue about whether or not that's what he did here, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling we might argue about that actually, but I mean. You got to figure if Gold Dukat is going to send Odo out to do dirty work that he can't even like, you know, turn to one of his own people to do. Yeah. Chances yeah, are he yeah, doesn't yeah. want him writing stuff down. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you know, oh, are you keeping record to that, Odo? Good. <laughs> that's because that's exactly what I want is that written down.
1: That That's how evil they are, man. They, they, they want to relish it. Look, if you're a bad guy on that scale. First of all, you're going to have written records about building a secret lair and weapons and all kinds of stuff. But they they want to go back and relish in what they accomplished. So
2: I've never, never understood why bad guys keep records. Mm. It's always amazing to me that you get people because of the stuff they had written down. Mm. Really? You know you're into shady stuff. Okay, what are you writing like a like a secret bad guy handbook that you want to publish someday? I don't. Uh, it's never made any sense to me. But let's move on. O- yeah. Odo's a good guy, you know. By the time we meet him, anyway. Sure, sure. I'm just saying. I, I get why he wouldn't have been writing stuff down. Well, certainly before the occupation, anyway. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about something else. That's kind of a weird thing, as far as good guy, bad guy, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, five bars of latinum doesn't seem like enough to be paid for breaking and entering. No, I I would want more. Um, for yeah. sure, for sure. Right. All I'm saying is when people can walk away from a from a spin or a hand or or just a yelling dabo with mm-hmm. like ten bars of gold press latinum, mm-hmm. then you know somebody saying do something that could get you jailed or shot, and I'll give you five. Yeah, no, right. I'm going to go to the Dabo table. Right,
1: right. So, uh, you know, here's the thing. A few weeks ago, Quark was selling off for 199 bars of gold-pressed latinum, uh, an incomplete set of some very rare rings. You know, that that's fine, <laughs> right. but it was an incomplete set from what I understand. Uh, and then also uh, a week ago, he was giving Pell 10 bars gold-pressed platinum,
2: Right, which I, I don't know now if that's a lot or a little since she was supposed to be restarting her life, although as we talked about, we don't even know if that's real currency in the Gamma Quadrant so whatever, because that's where she was off to.
1: Yeah, like I, I'm not one of those guys who walks around with like a roll of $100 bills in my pocket, you know, certainly oh, not. Oh, you should try it. <laughs> it
2: makes you feel great.
1: Because <laughs> well, A, uh, I don't have that, and B, I'm not that guy, but I get the feeling that Quark is the guy who just like, hey, here's whatever's in my pocket. Take this and he gives that to Pell and, you know, maybe to, to somebody else that seems like a lot of money but to uh, to us watching the show, it just doesn't seem like a lot of money and five bars, definitely half of what he gave Pell does not seem like a lot of money
2: Yeah, I get what you're saying although again, he does have a latinum safe so I don't know that he walks around with a lot in his pocket Sure. Plus, I think it's kind of heavy
1: Yeah, 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 I got that impression too Yeah
2: um, I, mean, I don't see a belt on him No <laughs>
1: And he's got to have to drag around that thing that had the hundreds of bars in it when they were evacuating the station. It's just Latinum is not a good uh, basis for a system of currency. I'm gonna
2: say. Well, no, I I think Latinum is actually probably okay. I don't know if you got to have one. It might as well be that. I just can't imagine he's going to risk his freedom for five of them. Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I just want to point out a fun moment in the show, the Odo and Cisco show, the good cop (laughs) bad cop bit. I mean, it's a classic. Yeah, and, and it's. It's really good. It's really well done here.
2: Do you think they planned it? Uh, well, the writer. Or do you think they just fell into it in a way? Uh, the writer of the show did. Yeah. Yeah, the characters. <laughs> yes. No, that'd, I, know, that'd I be know. great. Hey, we have an idea for an ad lib. Yeah. <laughs> Said almost nobody. Whatever. It's amazing know, to me how many times people are like, oh, I think that was ad libbed. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they encourage that. They encourage that all the time.
1: Nothing on Star Trek ever is ad-libbed. But yes, uh, uh, that was... I, in my estimation, it felt like they just slipped into it naturally. And, and for an episode with not a lot of Cisco in it, mm-hmm. that was a really great moment for him. It just it felt right because I don't think that Odo and Cisco sit around and go like, hey, you know, it'd be fun the next time we have to interrogate somebody. OK, you do this and I'll do this. OK, Odo, this time you play the heavy. You're good
2: at that. Yeah, you're good at that. Okay. Say? Oh, you think you think I yeah. want to hear the discussion where Odo's like, I want to try being good cop. <laughs> yeah, because that's going to fly. That's, so people are going to believe you, Odo. Yes, you should absolutely try that for three seconds.
1: Hey, uh, Odo being the straight edge, he says, I don't use chemicals. Um, <laughs> and I wondered about that. I wondered, are, are they drugs? And meaning, are they illegal drugs? And if so, are Cardassians baked most of the time? Or Bajorans, for that matter. Now, now, look, I know that you can say, like, if you say I'm going to the chemist, in the UK, typically it just means I'm going to the pharmacy. I'm going to get an aspirin. I'm going to get some nice legal over the counter drug. But in this, the disdain that Odo uses when he says, I don't use chemicals or that, or he's just used to the idea of telling people what he doesn't do, like telling Odo or like telling Quark, I don't drink. Right. Well, here, here's something non alcoholic. No, I don't drink. And he just has developed this kind of gruff disdain for anybody who offers him anything.
2: I'm sorry, you launched me back to 1984 when you said straight edge. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, still I? Like, yeah. I'm, sitting there, I'm sitting there in the mall talking to a couple of punks who are amazed that I don't do anything. And they called yeah. me straight edge, and I honestly had to ask somebody else what they were talking about. <laughs> That's how straight edge I was. I didn't even know there was a term for it. I just thought you just, you know, you don't, you don't do chemicals.
1: The, no, no, you don't. And Odo doesn't either. So you and he can be straight edge together. That's good. Yeah, uh, we learned that Odo can do the Cardassian neck trick, which I just think is—it's just him imitating a Cardassian, right? Just just doing the thing—you puff out the neck. And, I guess.
2: I mean, I okay. honestly, I suspect he was actually trying to imitate a cobra. O- mm. Only because it seems mm. to me that you know imitating the Cardassians around the Cardassians. I mean, luckily they had a sense of humor about it. It turns out, but I would think yeah. you know. I wonder. I in my head, it's you know he was trying to do a cobra. And somebody's like, hey, that's a great Cardassian. And he's like, yeah, I was doing a Cardassian. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, oh, by the way, uh, another good Star Trek rule here that we, we always like to point out. Chesso does, when in doubt in Star Trek, there is always an apostrophe. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's, we don't know what they're leaving out.
2: It, well, I mean, but- you had to figure he was hiding something. No, that's, what the, <laughs> that's what the apostrophe does. It covers a lot.
1: Um, some good lines, a lot of great lines in this. We pointed out the uh, one more thing, but also gotta point out they have ways of getting their information, which is it is clearly Peter Allen Field's not writing. They have ways of making you talk, you know, just a, a classic kind of thing you'd hear in this type of story. And um, I have to admit that I, I love the drama of the assassin stabbing the security guard through a bouquet of flowers. Yeah. How cinematic. How great.
2: It was great. It was, I mean, uh, as far as the, yes, that was a great way to kill that one guy. I'm curious why he then tries to find the slowest way possible to kill the guy he's actually there to kill. Yeah,
1: right. Because, like, in for a penny, in for a pound. I guess. I
2: mean, here's the thing, yeah. though. I mean, yeah, and you're right. It's a perfect shot. Like, the flowers, and then the the flowers come back, mm-hmm. and the knife is there. Maybe go back for that knife, though. I'm just saying. Could, well, uh, that would make a mess. Right, well, it would make a mess. But yeah. guess what? So's the dead guy that he's leaving there. I mean, because here's <laughs> the thing: he's like, ah, oh, good. I got rid of that guy. Now, what will take the longest to kill Quark? What's mm. what? What mm-hmm. offers the greatest opportunity for me to be discovered uh, doing the thing that I actually came here to do?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much toast after that. But I, I feel certain that that must be a scene in a movie, and I would love to know what movie that is, because uh, it was just so perfect for that moment. And look, Ken, I don't have food to talk about in this episode, uh, but just as a stylistic thing, I got to point out that dress at the end that Palra had. That, wow, that, that absolutely looked like it walked off a screen from a movie of the 30s or 40s or 50s. Throw it on Lana Turner or Elizabeth scott uh, uh even a uh, lauren bacall and uh, it just says femme fatale so my hat is off to the wardrobe director for this episode
0: too bad odo was not wearing a hat this would have been a great episode for Otto to wear a hat.
2: I understand your power was recently terminated for lack of payment. Really? <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be that guy, but really? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the 24th century. Remember when? Uh, remember when Uncle Bill Mullabach? was uh, was living on a moon, you know, with a couple oh, of other sure. people who couldn't talk because they had their tongues cut out by the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. And he was there, mm-hmm. and he was happy. And then uh, they had to move him off that moon because they needed that moon uh, for power generation. They needed that for power, you see. So they moved yeah. this guy who was living there uh, for power. Right. And you thought to yourself, well, uh, we, we actually had a question then. Needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few? You know, no, no, mm-hmm. it was actually the needs of a corporation, apparently, outweighing the needs of Uncle Bill because— I mean, that's a, did the government move him or did a power company move him or did the Bajoran government do that for the benefit of a power company?
1: Yes. The other thing at the time, I just I thought it was the government. I, yeah, I thought, right. it, you know, Bajor, like like a lot of what we see in Federation ish worlds. And I again, I know they're not the Federation, but in, in this, you know, uh, the the future uh, that a lot of what we see is a sort of quasi socialist thing where where just resources are there. They're just sort of shared. And things like power are really not a problem. Things like power and food, they just kind of show up, right? And at the time, I thought it was the government. And now I'm just like, man, the power company on Bajor, they're horrible people. Yes. (laughs) Well,
2: they're people just like us. The only thing is we're not anywhere near ready for the Federation, right? And Mm -hmm. and Bajor apparently is angling to be in the Federation And the Cardassian's been gone for, what, 15 minutes at this point? And the power company is like, blank you, pay me.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Wait a minute. Now now we're the new heavies in town. Exactly.
2: Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, Mm -hmm. with slightly less interrogation. Although, don't push me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right,
2: right. Ah, I just and I know that's not what this episode is about. I know it's a film noir thing. It's like, oh, your power was out, but now you now your power's back on because you because you got the money somehow. Mm-hmm. Now the Bajorans have money as well. But seriously, they're paying for power. I, I Picard should have just like seen these people and gone, nope. No, you know what I mean? This is just this is this is crazy town. This is planet crazy town. It seems to me.
1: Yeah, they got they got they got clouds. They got earrings. They they will shut off your power. And here's the thing. That power bill must have been more than five bars of gold press (laughs) latinum.
2: Good Uh, Lord. That's true. uh What is she? What uh is she? What is she powering that much? Right. Although in fairness, she just promised Quark the five bars of gold press latinum. She didn't give it to him. Well, that's true. And then he got a he got what you know passes for a bullet for his troubles, right?
1: Yeah, because it seems like she could just go to DS Nine and be like, "Hey, you have a replicator up here. Could you replicate a thing that I could use to build a thing that generates power? Because that would be great." Or
2: oh, interesting. You just turn on a switch and and you got power. And who are you paying for that? Nobody, you say.
1: Nobody. Oh, interesting. interesting. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
2: Got a spare room. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think this is largely a character episode. So let's talk about, you know, characters. Do you want to? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with that, I mean, would would you say that's okay? Yes,
1: I do. I mean, uh, there are, um, yeah, there are notes that I had, but, but really, honestly, it's just about character. It's not about the issues. And and we'll come back to that in the wrap up for
2: sure. Well, it's largely about character, but I feel like I want to spend a lot of time talking about characters because that's mostly what they're giving us here. Mm-hmm. So, uh let's talk about Rom. Yep. I think he's I think he's great in this episode. There is something about the way he is played that every week I see him, I'm like that is Chico Marx as I live and breathe that is Chico <laughs> Marx. He's like he's he's like trying to get it over on somebody. He's smart enough to get it over on somebody and yet he doesn't really seem particularly smart. Uh he was really funny in this episode as well and yet there's something sort of sad about him. Like, mm-hmm. he wants Quark to see his value so much that he tells Quark that he's been breaking into Quark's stuff when Quark is not around. But it's mm-hmm. worth going ahead and outing himself on that, because what he really wants is is the approval, is the appreciation, is the love, right? Yeah. It's the same thing yeah. with Odo later. He's like, oh, do you want to get in there? I can get in in 10 seconds. I mean, it's funny. And it's, uh, I don't know, it was it was there's something, there's something uh, almost poignant about it. <laughs>
1: he he would also be perfectly fine if Quark died and left him the bar. Yeah, sure. So, you know, he, he would have been fine with that because that's the way it works. Although, um,
2: but- in fairness, that really honestly did not occur to him. Mm-hmm. He could have yeah. just left yeah. Quark laying there and then gotten the bar. And this is a guy who has tried to kill Quark since we started watching Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yes. He's actually tried to yes. kill Quark to have his stuff, but, you know, like right in the middle of it... Uh, he loves his brother, which is a yeah. which is a weird yeah. thing and not something I expected uh, to see from Rom.
1: And and, I, and I've talked about how Rom um, is not the brightest bulb. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing: he's got skills. In this episode, clearly we see that he has skills. He just doesn't have the intelligence to put those skills to use for himself to to do better. he's just like, yeah, I had to open up this thing to make change and he like you're saying he wants quark to see the value in that, but he doesn't realize like, oh, I actually have oh, this knowledge to do these other things
2: that's interesting because I did not I did not for a minute think that that was the real reason I thought that was his cover story. I think if Quart uh, you, you think go back, pocketing? oh yeah, I yeah. think if Quart goes back to his latinum vault, yes, there are definitely a couple of bars missing. Hopefully, not more than five, because that'll get a guy broken into, yeah, <laughs> <right? laughs> or something. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really, I, I really thought, you know, I thought everything he was saying about the reasons that he did that—they were like, no, no, really, I'm being nice to you in doing this. No, I didn't believe that at all. I Well,
1: it, it yeah, r- remains to see how it goes. Of course, there's a lot more Quark and Rom to come. I just I get the feeling he's not thinking that far ahead. Yeah. Like Quark, Quark is thinking ahead, but he doesn't always have the skill to pull off the scheme that he is thinking about that far ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he's playing three steps ahead when somebody else is playing five steps ahead. Rom, I feel like, is playing a half a step, sometimes behind the other people. But again, he has skills. He has skills. I will give him that.
2: Let's move on to another couple of characters, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, uh, uh, Odo comes into uh, Quark's, I think, when Quark is still unconscious. And Cisco says, you look like you've lost your best friend, Constable. And Dak says, is Quark? Uh, and Odo says, no, Quark's stable. <laughs> Quark is Odo's best friend. Yeah, Quark is Odo's yeah. best friend, which I, Odo, Odo hates. That Odo does not want that to be the case, and Quark's always like, "Yeah, if I'm ever gone, you're gonna miss me." And and Odo's like, "Yes, I'll miss the possibility of locking you up." Stupid, shut up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Quark is Odo's best friend, which is weird and and sad that they don't have like a a good relationship, but they have a relationship. Yeah. And there's not even a moment of like, I wouldn't be sad if he died, or you think I would look sad if he was gone or something like that. It's just like, I mean, there's like a, it's almost like a subliminal, like, acknowledgement that he likes and cares about Quark. Oh, uh, they need each other. They, they need, need each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like Batman and the Joker, but very, very different. right yeah right Uh, we get development from the bad guy here in a way although this is more like how the bad guys operate um when Mm -hmm. ducat is trying to get uh uh, odo to work for him uh, ducat says my superiors would have me solve this murder by rounding up 10 bajorans and executing them i'm hoping you'll give me a better alternative i mean i don't know who that would work on exactly like you know hey could be worse Right, I mean, it pretty much yeah. seems to be yeah. seems to be what he's saying, and really, I think there are a lot of people who would disagree with that. But it was interesting <sighs> to see Ducat, um, yeah, sort of work the angle.
1: Well, that's one of the reasons that I'm bummed that we're missing that deleted scene because it. it, it it helps to explain that reasoning, mm-hmm. the further that Gold Jacott can be away from his band of uh, of informants of collaborators, the further di- distance he can create between himself and uh, and the Bajoran woman that is his lover i I think that adds just even more of that noir intrigue to the story. But yes, on its own, that line is pretty fascinating as a development piece for Dukat. I think had we had that other scene, would have played very nicely into it.
2: And one last uh, character uh, point along Mm -hmm. a goofy line. Uh, Apparently Odo doesn't have to concentrate to keep his shape at any time because he spent a lot of time daydreaming in this episode. Mm. And he comes back and he's always, he's, and he's looking off in the distance, which makes no sense because his <laughs> eyes are the same, you know, whatever the rest of him is. It doesn't really matter. Right. You know, It's right. like when he turns his head, when somebody says, says something, I assume that's for us, not for him because, you know, mm-hmm. he's one giant tongue. But I thought it'd be great if like after one of his daydream things, somebody came into his office and he's just there. He's just a puddle. Yeah, because he's been <laughs> right. concentrating so much on what he was thinking about that he forgot to, you know, shape of Odo, right? No, he's just like, no, nah, he's just everywhere.
1: Yeah. Oh, sorry. Were, were you thinking again? Sorry. <laughs> right. Sorry. We'll, we'll right. leave you.
2: What am I stepping in? Oh, yeah. Odo's daydreaming. Oh, yeah. right. oh, oh. <laughs> One of us needs a shower. Could be both of us. I'm not 100% certain. Um, I think there is an issue. Mm -hmm. Can you work for good for bad guys and still be good?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the theme here that we're presented with a couple of times is Kira challenging Odo, which... I'm really pleased with because this helps again to, to cement their very interesting relationship. Mm-hmm. She says sooner or later, you're going to have to choose whose side you're on. And then later on in that same scene, everyone has to choose sides constable. Um, for whatever reason, uh, maybe by reputation, maybe by just the feel in the moment. She gets the sense that there is something honorable and uh at least some sense of integrity about him that the Cardassians don't have um and he's a guy who has been backed into a bad situation so yeah he he's working for the ultimate bad guy, Dukat among the ultimate bad guys, the Cardassians mm-hmm. so can he really can he really come out of this uh clean? And doing the right thing. And I think at least in that one moment that we see him saving Kira, um, he has done the right thing emotionally. He is also letting her go on the technicality that for that bit of evidence, she did not kill Vatric. She gave herself up for something else. Mm-hmm. And the question that Dukat poses to him is whether or not she killed
2: Vatric. No. As far as he knows at that time,
1: as far as he knows at that moment, now, whether or not he chose to reveal uh, about the sabotage that was going on, I assume that he didn't, because that would have only sucked him further into that mess. Uh, But he's he's sitting on that information. And on that technicality, he was able to
2: let Kira go. So, So your argument would be, I'm sorry, would your argument then be that you can work for good under a bad guy?
1: He is. He, he is acting as ethically as he can in a situation that is unethical.
2: Should he have taken the job, though?
1: Hmm. did he have a choice but did did he have a choice well
2: i don't see i don't know i don't know i don't know the answer to that question so okay odo had been working with a scientist on bajor in a lab right and one day he says in this episode he decided he could learn more outside of the lab than he could in the lab so he left so he's got at least enough agency that he can walk out of the lab now he was actually able to get off of bajor because he got to deep space nine So, Mm -hmm. I mean, he is not one of the oppressed people in that he is not Bajoran, nor is he one of the oppressors in that he is not Cardassian. Could he have gone ahead and left? And if he couldn't go ahead and leave, I mean, what did Dukat say? Uh, Here's here's what happens. Either you help me solve this murder or my superiors are going to demand that I kill, you know, 10 random Bajorans. So he's blackmailing him at that point. Mm-hmm. So, when you say, "Could he have not taken the job, it sounds like he could have not taken the job. It would have cost ten Bajorans, but I mean, why is he still there if he if he if he has the option of not taking the job when Gul Dukat offers it to him why is he why is he hanging around at all? Why didn't he go any place else because in staying here, he's not quite a profiteer, but he's he's not helping the Cardassians, but he's not helping the Bajorans either. And when then, you know, a big, bad Cardassian comes in and says, do what I want. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I'll do what you want, but I'm going to do it my way. Okay, well, at that point, I'm not sure that Kira's wrong. Yeah. He is working for the Cardassians at that point. And in working for the Cardassians, he is maybe able to save some people's lives. But I don't know. I, I That, to me, was the central, if there's going to be a central question, and I mean, that is not that is not the question that they're examining here. It's the one that Kira brings up to him. It's not the question that's being examined here, but it's the question that just sort of screamed out to me.
1: Well, I mean, through his inaction, people would die. Mm-hmm. Through his action, theoretically, people will live. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it seems like he made the correct moral choice in this. Now, I, I agree with you that there might have been some point before this five years ago in DS9 at nine time that he could have walked away. He he could have shapeshifted into something else and hopped on a different ship and gotten far, far away from there. Mm-hmm. Why he didn't do that, I don't know. But there also seems to be a lot of... Uh, uh, sort of the the, the tragedy of uh, of not having a home, not having a place to fit that surrounds Odo. So he doesn't know where else to go or who else is out. What if the next place he lands on is even worse than this? You know, this is all that he knows, actually, as far as interacting with other people.
2: So what do you make, then, of the fact that this guy, who is probably better positioned than anyone to be a member of the Bajoran Underground, is not a member of the Bajoran Underground?
1: Hmm. Yeah, as as he should be.
2: He can turn himself into a Bajoran and then knock somebody else over the head. And then they, he can be one of the collaborator Bajorans, except, you know, screw up what they're doing. Or he apparently does this really neat Cardassian neck trick thing. <laughs> right. So maybe he can make himself a Cardassian and sort of infiltrate that way as well. He's standing there while atrocities are going on around him. I mean. Yeah it it sounds to me like he's chosen and it's uh, what is it? what's the line from the rush song um if you choose not to decide you still have made a choice i mean he's he's mm-hmm. chosen at this point I mean, if you choose that you're not going to get involved while horrible things are happening around you eh, it could be argued that you you know that you're siding with the ones doing the horrible things
1: yeah i, I don't disagree with you i mean I, I i'm glad that we have those moments of kira pushing him Um, that for every time that he says, this is not my battle, I'm not choosing, I'm not on anybody's side. She corners him into it. It shouldn't have taken as long as it did for him to realize that there is uh, a right side and a wrong side of this to be on. Um, but he got there. He needed Kira to get him there. And that also cements their relationship. Um, but Yeah he he should have known better
0: with a murderer well not caught exactly but with the case closed it is time to see what we can take from necessary evil
2: Necessary Evil. Who was the Necessary Evil, by the way? Or what was the Necessary Evil? Any idea? Are
1: you asking rhetorically? Or are you asking
2: me? <laughs> no, I'm asking seriously. What was the Necessary Evil? Was, was, was working with Gul Dukat... The necessary evil? I know we just talked last segment about whether or not he had made the right choice, wrong choice a long time ago, but what's the necessary evil here?
1: Well, I think you look at it a couple of ways. I think uh, Odo's compliance with the Cardassians was a quote-unquote necessary evil. Um, You could also see that Kira's uh, decision to kill Vatric was a necessary evil. She says she had to. That that he he snuck up on her and she was trying to get the information, trying to get the list, and uh, she didn't she didn't want to. That was not part of her mission.
2: Mm. But she had to, or perhaps Kira lying to uh, Kira lying to Odo. Yeah. Was a necessary evil. Sure. As well, or a necessarily evil anyway. Sure. Maybe that god awful earring she was wearing in the prologue was a necessary evil for some reason. Do you think? You think? No. No, (laughs) I don't. I think that was just a bad, (laughs) in an otherwise well-designed episode. Speaking of which, it's the part of the episode where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings, and talk about whether or not we feel like the episode holds up today. Uh, Necessary Evil, John, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned?
1: You know, it's weird. The the first time I, I watched it, I enjoyed it. And I thought, well, are we back at one of those episodes where it's a Star Trek doing a a style experiment? And, and that's what it felt like. And we've talked about that before, how sometimes Star Trek can be very successful or not successful doing a style experiment. Oh, we're, we're going to do a holodeck episode where we get to play around in 1940s San Francisco, or we're going to do a comedy episode, or we'll do a very Twilight Zone sort of episode. And some of those work really well, and some of them don't. The more I watched this, the more I liked it, and I felt like it's an episode that shouldn't necessarily work it shouldn't necessarily hold up but it really does the reason that i say it shouldn't hold up is because it's very over the top with that style experiment from the beginning having odo doing the voiceover and 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 justifying it like contriving it that well cisco made me do it (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um because we, we haven't heard it before and we probably won't hear it again. Um, forcing that in, even opening with the dark and stormy night down on planet Bajor, uh having all the tropes in there, uh, uh, murder and deceit and the femme fatale and all of this stuff. It felt like style run amok. But at the end of the day they actually did something that as we just discussed in the last segment was a really rich character piece. Mm -hmm. So if this episode can be blamed for anything, it's that it's a sort of this sidestep to deeply explore the characters again before coming back to do an issues type show, the, the quote unquote classic star Trek, you, you know, don't eat paint bonk, bonk on the head kind of message. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and I thought what we got out of the characters was so rich and so interesting that uh, I kept wanting to watch it again and again so yeah it, it it absolutely holds up despite all the things that I could point to that would make me say oh well this doesn't really feel like classic Star Trek in any way how about you
2: well, I mean, as a production, I think it holds up great. There are stylistic choices I like in this episode. There was this one really wonderful thing happened where th- there were these two kids chasing each other on the promenade mm. and it seemed ridiculous like they they shouldn 't be there doing that except that then they were juxtaposed with the two bedraggled kids that they showed during the occupation oh right yeah that yeah. was re- that was really neat um d s nine generally speaking doesn 't seem like a particularly warm place. But the juxtaposition of the warm or sort of terrestrial tones of Deep Space Nine under, you know, Bajoran and Federation influence versus the, the harsh sort of dark blue under the Cardassians, I mean, that really set the moods apart. And that was a really neat way to... To I mean, first of all, it was a great visual cue. It was like, you know, oh, we're back at that time now. Okay, mm-hmm. now we're present day. Oh, we're back at that time now, you know. yeah. And there were character things I liked. Um, Rom, I think, is a standout in this episode, honestly. Um, I'm bad at pronouncing his last name. Is it Max Gredanchik?
1: Yeah, very good. Well done.
2: Yeah. Uh, he he did a great job in this episode. Uh, and it's one of those interesting things where they didn't give him a lot more than he normally gets. Mm-hmm or maybe I'm sorry they didn't give him a lot more like like time-wise they gave him a lot more so we got to explore him a bit more they didn't really give him much more to do than he ever gets to do he just had more time in which to do it and that actually honestly made him one of the best characters in this episode for me so yeah i i would say as a production um uh, the episode holds up sure now do, do you want to ask me about messages <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, Ken, what do you think about messages in here?
2: Hang on to your hats, everybody. I think we might need to stop asking this question unless it's a serious question. Unless unless they were obviously trying to do a messages episode. It's mm-hmm. interesting to me that you said in your summation, it's like, yeah, this is a fun little thing until we get back to, you know, really exploring like an issues mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. I think if we went back and counted, there are fewer of those in Deep Space Nine than there are just sort of interesting character episodes or interesting war episodes. I, I think you may be right. And this is something that people said was going to happen. And I remember Vegas 2017 standing on stage at our panel saying, I know I'm going to have to watch Deep Space Nine differently than I'm watching Star Trek mm-hmm. or watching you know, TNG or TOS. And that has been a hard thing to do. And the thing is, I'm not doing it intentionally now, because you can't. I'm doing it now because we're uh, one season and eight episodes into this new thing that I'm watching every week. And, and, you know, just as a matter of habit, unless you're going to be one of those people who sits there every week and go, well, it isn't Star Trek. Yeah. You know, as a matter of habit, I'm having to watch it differently. I will tell you, I don't know. Well, no, I guess I do know. TNG always kept me. I have not given Deep Space Nine a hard watch until now. I don't know that this is necessarily the kind of thing that I would choose to watch. Hmm. I'm choosing to watch it because I don't have to do this show. Hmm. I don't have to do this with you every week. I enjoy doing this with you every week. I enjoy things that happen in the Star Trek universe. I mean, that that part is kind of interesting. I know as a, as a, as a viewer, this is not the kind of thing that, generally speaking, I would be drawn to. Hmm. There's wonderful production. There's wonderful design. It is, of course, part of, I'm going to say the word you hate, Star Trek canon. If I want to understand what's going on in Voyager, if I want to understand a lot of the references and a lot of other things, I'm going to need to know what's happening here as well. And the thing is, it's a great TV show. It is a great TV show. But I don't know that we should ask what the message was anymore, because that's not what Deep Space Nine was trying to do. At least that doesn't seem to be the impression that I'm getting from what Deep Space Nine was trying to do. feels to me like they want to have a really interesting adventure. They want to maybe explore some stuff, but they're not trying to do the you see Timmy moment. They're not trying to do the bonk, bonk on the head moment. They're trying to do the wow, man moment, right? And it's harder to get a message out of those for me. Hmm. So, well, I mean, we can revisit whether we want to keep asking the question or not, but... I don't feel like there was a message here and I don't know that I care because I don't know that I'm watching Deep Space Nine for that the way I was watching TNG, TOS and uh, and the animated series even for those kind of messages.
1: See, I don't think that those things are are totally exclusive. I, I don't think it's a one or the other. I, I think that DS9 is definitely relishing in this gray moral area. So everything that we got out of this about Odo trying to find his place,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whether or not we as the audience and the characters around Odo, particularly Kira, who's got something invested in it and invested in their friendship, Are we going to see him make the right moral choice? I mean, to me, that is a very Star Trek thing. But unlike sort of the the slap on the back at the end of TOS and you go to freeze frame, we're, we're left with this lingering thing at the end, which is, all right, Odo may have stumbled his way into the side of the quote unquote good guys. Mm -hmm. We know that with Cisco there in charge, you know, that that's part of the Federation for us, for us, for us viewers, for whom uh, we are represented by this uh, aspirational, idealistic version of us in the Federation. We know that that's the the good guys. Right. So he stumbled his way into it, but we're left with this question about um, are his loyalties challenged because of his friendships? Uh, Can he can he make a difficult decision when it compromises his very intense sense of justice <laughs> versus his sense of friendship and family, which is all very new to him mm-hmm. because up until a few years ago, he was a guy who was, you know, essentially a, a freak show in a cage, you know, being, being prodded and experimented on by the, the Jorans and then by the Cardassians. So, I don't think that an episode like this necessarily has to have the you see Timmy moment, but I do think it's still exploring the same kinds of questions that Star Trek explores. And I don't want to throw that question totally out because I feel like the further we get along in DS9, the more those questions are going to be representative and and, and challenging for a whole arc and a whole storyline across multiple episodes and and yes across the entire series and for you and me that's the challenge of doing our show the way that we do it and and i know that people write in all the time and they say oh but but there's this thing coming up in three years (laughs) that explains this thing that happened then look i get it i get it and ken gets it too um but quite frankly that's not the way the show was released so in 1993 1994 we were all sitting there watching it from week to week, and trying to make sense out of an episode individually. And sometimes those individual episodes, and as you've pointed out, many of these individual episodes sort of leave us hanging, saying, well, are they making a statement about humanity? And and if they are, is it kind of a bleak one? Or, or if not a bleak one, at least kind of a neutral one, unlike one in TOS or TNG where we end up with something that is Something that leaves you with a sense of warmth, like we'll be OK, we'll get there, we'll be all right at the end of the day. We just got to apply ourselves and we'll be fine. And this show, this show doesn't give you that.
2: I, I don't know that that's what every episode of Star Trek did, though. Every episode not of TNG, every, not, TNG no, or no. TOS. I mean, I'm thinking about, is it symbiosis? Was that the one with the two drug dealing, the drug dealing mm-hmm. drug? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that ended poorly for those people. But it ended with, I mean, it ended with an examination and deciding, okay, this would be the right way to go, right?
1: But it didn't end poorly, it didn't end poorly for us, though. That's what I'm saying. And, and I know that those characters, those drug dealers and those drug takers, I, I know that they are us, too. I, I, I get that. But there's an inherent message in there that says, well, well we humans from Earth who have figured out space travel and figured out how to put the drugs behind us, we're, we're better.
2: I completely disagree with that statement.
1: Really? Yeah. I mean, Jean-Luc Picard, Will Riker, and everybody.
2: Yes, I'm. Yes, but I'm also the drug pusher, and I'm also the drug guy. But we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I, don't, yeah. I don't. I don't. I yeah. don't feel like there is a human superiority about this. I feel like there is a an assumption that we're going to be fine. But we, as all of us, I mean, we're we're the we're we're all of it. I mean, that's. I didn't want to get into like a whole thing about this. I don't. I I I feel like. Tell me if you would agree with this statement. Mm-hmm. TNG and TOS, or TOS and TNG to a certain point, were basically trying to do morality plays, in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were trying to entertain, they were trying to amuse, but then they were also trying to... It's like you've said about the Gene Roddenberry quote.
1: Sure, yeah.
2: Past a certain point, TNG cared less about that, and and while while Deep Space Nine maybe doing an examination of the human condition, they're not doing a morality play. They're not doing the, here's how, it's more like, how would we? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. That's why I have a problem with the question, what is the message? Because I don't feel like they're trying to deliver a message. They're maybe trying to examine stuff and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's no value in what's going on in TNG, I mean, uh, Deep Space Nine, I'm just not sure that we can keep asking what is the message, because I think the message might ultimately be wow, man, or the message might be holy cow or something along those lines. But neither of those mm. is don't eat paint. Neither of those is, you know, a, a symbiotic culture that, you know, has one thing feeding off of the misfortune of another is bad. I mean, that's how you can sum up that episode, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, Maybe with Tosk, maybe with Tosk, you have that kind of summation. But even there, I don't think you did. Certainly what happened with Mullabach, I don't think you do. Um, I mean, I I can't think of a of a message episode that's been in Deep Space Nine, which is not to say that there's not something to pull from it. But Mm -hmm. they're not they're not doing bonk, bonk on the head.
1: Yeah. So uh, maybe it gets rephrased as uh, so. So what's the uh, existential dread we're dealing with this week?
2: (laughs) Maybe so, in which case, uh-huh. I mean, maybe that, makes it, maybe that makes it an easier show to watch at that point. I mean, yeah, I mean if, if, if I'm not, then here's, the, here's where it gets tricky. I, I don't feel like you can watch this the way you watched Star Trek before. That doesn't make it not Star Trek. Sure. But I don't think you can watch it the same way you did before and, uh, and expect the same results.
1: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. It's the home for Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and the Trek Files. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
2: Next week, Second Sight.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I think that Odo will trust Kira, but I am not certain. I have not watched ahead. No spoilers And transmission Podcast.roddenberry.com, The Roddenberry Podcast Network.